Well, good morning, everyone. It is fantastic to see everyone here. And there are a whole bunch of faces I don't know. So I'm going to assume that you are from Berea. And uh, we're thrilled that you're here from Berea. Of course, if you're not, and you just happen to be visiting us today, uh, what you might not appreciate is what's currently going on in the minds of most of the regulars to Wycroft Baptist Church. Especially those who weren't paying attention last week. Uh, and let me fill you in on what's going on in the minds of the regulars of Wycroft Baptist Church. Anybody actually want to volunteer what's going on in the minds of the regulars? Exactly. What is Brian doing in a tie? Why? Why the tie? Uh, I always joke about the tie. I, I know that some people don't always understand why I joke about the tie. Uh, but what you have to remember is where I went to school, I wore a tie for 12 years of my life along with a blazer. Uh, you know, every morning I would get up and be forced to put this little noose around my neck uh, and, and half strangle myself and go off to school. And I'd have to do what kids do at school in a tie and blazer, you know, try to play Red Rover or soccer or whatever the case might be, uh, and then go from that straight into a formal assembly, sweaty in that suit and tie. And so you will forgive me if I'm not a big fan of ties, but I'm also aware that there are some places and some times where it is fitting and right to wear a tie. So I don't mean to make anybody feel guilty who's not wearing a tie today. Please don't. Come back on Sunday. I won't have a tie on. We'll be fine. But ordinarily, at weddings, we wear ties. Or at other places, might be at funerals. And so because of that, at Good Friday, you will find me in a tie. It'll probably be this red tie because my collection of ties is very limited. But we gather together on Good Friday in a sense of reverence, in a sense of contemplation and reflection. And so even today, for those who might be visiting us, you kind of might feel a little uncomfortable. You know, we're in church. Why are we sitting the whole way through? Uh, we're singing. Shouldn't we be standing? Uh, Brian, don't you realize when I sit for so long, I just can't even focus anymore? And I'm going to drown, turn you out in a moment. I understand that. But on Good Friday, it is important, I believe. Because Good Friday is the day that marks our faith. It is the day that reminds us how we are saved. We sing about it. In fact, we sing about it all through the year. We sing about Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. And so on Good Friday, we reflect and we remember. And so with the, the cross behind me, this becomes the focal point for us today. In fact, it's the focal point of the whole weekend. As we look to the cross, as we see our Savior crucified. But of course, like we've said, we know the end. Because even though our Savior is crucified, He is buried, but He doesn't stay there. He rises again. We know from Scripture that there were actually a couple of crosses, uh, at least three. There could have been a few more, but at least three crosses. And we understand that Christ was crucified with others on either side of him. 
And today, as we focus on Good Friday, it's those other two crosses that I want to think about. Uh, One of the challenges of Good Friday, much like Christmas, uh, they're powerful themes, they're amazing scriptures, but they're really kind of focused. And we, we focus on them every year. And so the challenge is, how do you preach? How do you kind of dive into this in a way that still makes it relevant and applicable? And we get something, if I can put it that way. And so today I want to look at those two crosses on the either side of Christ and, and look at how those two crosses represent the human response to Christ on the cross. It is the response that we come to as we are faced with Jesus on the cross. And so indeed there are those on the one side who hurl insults and who mock Jesus Christ. But there are those on the other side who ask Jesus for salvation and who cry out for salvation. And this morning, as we look at those two responses, I don't want it to simply be some academic thing. I don't want you sitting out there going, yeah, okay, I understand that. This morning, I want you to make it personal. Perhaps once again, to to sit and reflect and go, where am I in response to the cross? Because it isn't just that Jesus died. It is that Jesus died for you and for me. Jesus died for us as individuals, and each one of us has the opportunity to respond. So with that said, let's begin in a word of prayer. And I'm going to use this opportunity to invite you to stand with me as we pray. So why don't you stand as we turn our attention and focus to God. Our Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning... We do so in somber reverence and reflection as we remember the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you would be moving in each one of our hearts and that for each one of us, we would be contemplating and considering what will our response be to our Savior. What will our response be to Christ who hangs for us? And as he offers life, as he offers grace, as he offers forgiveness, I pray that this morning again we would make that choice to receive that life. And God, may you be glorified as Christ is magnified, as your spirit is present here with us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and together his children say, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning I want to have a look at Luke chapter 23. Uh, The scriptures won't be up on the screen. We will be reading a portion of it later on. Uh, But we're going to go through Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 32. If you want to pull out your Bible on your phone, that's fine. If you want to use the, the paper Bible in front of you, you can do that as well. And in a few moments... I have a look at a couple of verses from Luke 23. Uh, you know, we talk about today as being Good Friday. And of course, there's still that question mark of how can it be good? Why do we call it Good Friday? Now, Jesus has been arrested. He's been through several sham trials. He's been mocked. He's been spit on. He's been beaten. He's been scourged. 
uh, it nearly to death. He's nailed to a wooden cross, naked, bleeding, unable to breathe, with a crown of thorns piercing into his skull. And we sit here and we go, it is Good Friday. And perhaps the reason we call it Good Friday is because on this day, the entire sacrificial system has been brought to an end. You know, last week in Palm Sunday, I spoke about how as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey, we know that on Palm Sunday, the high priest leads the lamb through Jerusalem, the lamb that would be slaughtered for the Passover. And so we don't know where, you know, whether Jesus came in just before or just after, but the point of the matter is this lamb is led in. And then on this Friday, it is the same day that that lamb will be sacrificed for the Passover. And so those who have their lambs are sacrificing them as the reminder that God is covering their sin. Yet they know that the sacrificial system is not perfect. The sacrificial system points ahead. Little do they know that right here, right in front of them, the sacrificial system is being brought to an end. It is being done away with this once and for all sacrifice as Christ dies in our place. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is who Jesus is. In fact, the Old Testament prophets spoke of this. In Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6, we read, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And so Jesus takes the sin of the world. But thankfully, the scriptures record that Jesus wasn't alone in that moment. Now, there were others besides him. And if you have your Bibles in Luke 23, we read in verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right and the other on his left. You know, Luke uh, is the only gospel writer who records this and these details for us. As Luke records these thieves or these bandits, we, we don't really know. You know, we don't know if they were kind of political prisoners or attempted assassins or, you know, they were trying to start an uprising. We do know from history that that Passover weekend was a great time for people to try and bring insurrections. In fact, that was part of what Barabbas had done, and he's set free. But we don't know about these two criminals. We, we don't know their names. We, we don't know their history. We know nothing. All that we know is they've been sentenced to death. And so just as Jesus is hanging on that cross, gasping for breath in that crucifixion position, so are these two men. And in that place, one of them still chooses to mock Jesus. In fact, we read in verse 39, one of the criminals hung, who was hanging there goes, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. 
Above Jesus' head was that sign that read, the king of the Jews. And so this criminal summons what little breath he has left and kind of hisses at Jesus and says, get us out of this mess. You know, I have no doubt, really, he didn't care about Jesus. Maybe he had heard some things about Jesus. Maybe he was confused as to how is this miracle worker hanging on a cross. And maybe he understood that this miracle worker has some power and surely he can get us out of this mess. And so he says, get me out of here. Yet the other criminal, he seems to get it. In verse 40 of Luke 23, the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now, often I think we just read over that. And we read over it and we agree with it. We go, yeah, yeah, Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. But can you imagine for a moment hanging in that place, hanging, struggling to breathe, knowing that your death is imminent and it is certain it is coming. Yet in that moment, he chooses to rebuke the other criminal. And he says, look, don't you get it? We're, we're dying here, but we deserve to die here. Don't you fear God? And I wonder if perhaps as we read the gospel account, as we understand this gift of life, perhaps that's the starting block. It's the fear of God. And by fear, I don't mean that terror where where we're unsure and, and we're just terrified and afraid. It's that reverence and that respect that acknowledges who God is. You know, we read already that the, the chief priests and the crowds around, they're sneering at Jesus. They're, they're hurling their insults at Jesus. They're mocking him while he's on the cross. Now, all the crowds are, are speaking this kind of terrible stuff to Jesus, yet this criminal has this moment of clarity. And he sees, and he says, we're punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. So even as he begins with that respect and that reverence and that fear of God, he acknowledges his sin. He he acknowledges the fact that I'm here because I deserve to be here. I'm not here by mistake. I'm not here by accident. I'm here because I deserve to be here. Yet this righteous one next to me has done nothing wrong. And as we contemplate our own salvation, it's not simply acknowledging, beginning with that fear of God, it's acknowledging that, that we are sinners. And that had it been us, we deserve to be there as well. And this is what I find amazing. And we don't know anything, as I said, about these guys. We don't know if they ever heard Jesus teach, if they ever saw Jesus, if they fully understood who Jesus was in life. He's, he's possibly never seen any of the miracles. We don't know. Yet he has this moment of clarity. And in that moment, he turns to Jesus in verse, verse 42. And he says, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in this moment, we see a crucified sinner trusting in a crucified Savior. In fact, the scripture says he knows his name. He calls him Jesus. Now, Jesus was a, a common name. It meant Jehovah saves. And as he cries out Jesus, I wonder if he gets it at that moment. I'm crying out for salvation to the very one who can save me. And he simply says, remember me. In that moment, against all odds, he recognizes that Jesus can save him. And he trusts in the power and the mercy of Christ. And somehow he gets that I'm being crucified next to a king. That sign means something. Did he understand everything? No. Could he quote scripture? Possibly some, but, but I doubt all. Could he give a neat kind of seven-point rule of how to enter into the kingdom of God? I doubt it. But what he knew was that he was hopeless and helpless to save himself. He had no chance, and he could only cry out for mercy. And this is what makes Jesus' response so incredible. Jesus answers him in verse 43. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, not years from now, not down the line, not, not at some point in the future, but today. Today you will be with me. As soon as you die, immediately after death, which was going to be very soon for all three of them, you will be with me. And this is what the Apostle Paul echoes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know, people often ask me, maybe it's because I'm a pastor and, and, and they think I know some stuff until they really get to know me. But people often ask me, what's it like to die? What, what happens when you die? And the bottom line is, I don't know. But one thing I do know, when you leave this life, you enter into the presence of God. And that should fill us with both incredible joy and incredible fear. I'm about to step into the presence of God. And so Jesus says, today you will be with me. It's kind of like in this personal way. Jesus says, don't worry, buddy. Wherever I am, you're going to be there. Like, sure, we might be next to each other on the cross right now, but in a couple of moments, that won't matter. He'll be with me at my side in paradise. Again, I, I, I don't know what paradise is. It sounds really cool. In fact, paradise kind of in the historical terms was usually a word picture. And it usually referred to a royal garden. That, that's where the word began. As it referred to a royal garden where the only way you got into there was by invitation of the emperor or, or the king. And you would come into this paradise, this safe place, this place of beauty, this place that would take your breath away. And this place of incredible honor because not everyone gets into that place with the king. 
Yet Jesus says to a criminal on a cross, today you will be with me in paradise. This guy's probably never really attended church. I don't think he was baptized. I don't think he ever walked down an aisle and said the sinner's prayer. He certainly didn't do any good deeds for for God or for the church or for the kingdom. If anything, he was a rebel and was never part of that life. Yet God extends grace. Jesus goes, it's not about who you are. It's not about what you've done. It's about who I am. And it's about what I am doing right here on the cross. It's this example of grace, mercy, and love and forgiveness. So what do we learn from this? What do we learn as we contemplate those two individuals? Well, surely the application is quite simple. What will you do with Christ on the cross? They're already millions of people around the world who mock and who hurl their insults and and who who shout at Christ and refuse to accept and refuse to believe. Yet there are also those who understand that apart from Christ, there is no hope. There is no salvation. There is no life. And so for those who cry out, Jesus Christ, remember me. Christ reserves his response. I assure you, today, of course, I don't mean today, today, but you know what I mean. And as we look at that response, that should also fill us with hope as we think about our family and loved ones. I know there are many of you in church this morning who are going, Brian, I wish my son or my daughter or my grandchild, I I wish my neighbor, I wish my colleague, I wish that person was here. So that they too could hear and respond to Christ. Don't give up on them. Keep praying. Keep praying for them. Keep trusting that God will do what he wants to do in their lives. And if it literally means that they will receive Christ on their deathbed, so be it. But keep praying for them. Of course, for those of us who are here today, who perhaps have never really contemplated who is Christ. And how do I receive this gift and this forgiveness? I would encourage you to do what this sinner did. He simply cried out. Now, I know most of you know that I'm not a huge fan of altar calls and and kind of sinner's prayers because I believe Scripture calls us to make disciples, not converts. But I'm going to make an exception. And I'm going to encourage you, as we close off this morning, have you responded to that gift of life in Jesus Christ? I'm not going to ask you to put up hands or move around or anything like that. But I'm going to close off in prayer. And I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. And all I ask is if you pray and you say, God, I want you to be my Savior and to come into my life, you need to tell someone that you've done that. And you need to join in this journey. Tell me, tell Pastor Jennifer, tell someone. So that we can walk with you. As we discover what it is like to really live in this life that Christ calls us to. On that Friday, it looked like hope was lost. Yet even in that space, even in that hopeless place, 
a sinner found salvation and grace. And isn't that the paradox of this day that we call Good Friday? Let's pray together. For those who've perhaps never taken that step of faith to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, and perhaps today you're feeling that sense of, I need to respond. I need to cry out for mercy. I invite you in your heart, won't you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for your gift of grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you that you offered yourself to pay for my sin. And today I confess my sin and I confess my need for salvation. Jesus, would you come and be my Savior and be my Lord? That I might experience paradise with you whenever that might be. God, I thank you for Good Friday. Even as we reflect with reverence and stillness, we know Sunday is coming. We know how the story ends. And we rejoice, even as we mourn. We celebrate, even as we ponder. God, thank you. Thank you that you included in Scripture these responses from two criminals in that final moment of Christ's life here on earth. And in that recollection, we see humanity's response to Christ. There is no neutral ground. There is either rejection or there is acceptance. God, I pray that more and more people would accept Jesus Christ so that your kingdom would be known and that you would be glorified. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Peter.